0: We begin in um, 2 Chronicles around 28-29, we see that um, Hezekiah at 25 years old becomes king because Ahaz, his dad, dies. Ahaz is probably the most wicked king we've seen yet in terms of sacrificing kids and leading the whole nation of Judah away from God, defiling the temple, a whole bunch of bad stuff. He dies and Hezekiah becomes king at 25 and immediately... It says he does what is right he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord and you might ask yourself how does this young man who was the son of a really bad king how did that happen he had a mother called Abijah and Abijah was the daughter of Zephaniah who was a prophet who was someone that was used by God to speak to a lot of good kings Um, the king about two kings before and teach them the ways of God. And he taught his kids the way of God. And one of his kids was Abijah, Hezekiah's mother. And I think one of the things that I talked about in one of the messages is the importance of telling the story to your children. How you see that when you're building strong faith and strong values into your children, they are going to, even in the face of what would be um, particularly something that would draw them into some wickedness, they're going to hang on to the truth. And so we see that. He recognizes that in Judah things are bad, and that renewal's needed. So he starts immediately on renewal, and he's really systematic about it. He starts step by step and fixing what's wrong. <clears throat> he starts with the temple. The temple's been defiled; it's closed up. The priests have most of the priests have become corrupt and and gone off all over the place. The temple shut up; it's cobwebbed. You can imagine what it's like. He starts right there, he finds a few good priests to the left, gets rid of all the idols and gets rid of everything that led Judah away from God, everything that caused them to rebel and he cleanses the temple. He gets a few good priests and says, we've got to cleanse this temple and they do it the Old Old Testament way and it's quite gory, they kill animals, they sprinkle blood and they go back to what God said in order to consecrate or cleanse the temple in order to get rid of idols. And not just physically get rid of an idol, like move it outside the door or burn it, but actually how to get rid of the influence of the idol in the, in the temple. And that's what they do. And then we were challenged, and Joel shared, uh, did, uh, shared that message with us, and we were challenged, what idols do we have? Where do we need cleansing for renewal in our lives? Where do we need cleansing to take place? Not just stopping doing things or removing the idols physically, but how do we cleanse ourselves from that? And that's what Hezekiah does next. He recognizes, okay, the temple's clean and cleansed, and the temple is now consecrated and ready to serve God, but what about the people? The people have sinned, and repentance demands a sacrifice and a response so they do that, they go back to the, what God had taught them about sacrifices. Animals had to be slaughtered, and the people responded in worship. And we learnt in that message that our sin demanded a sacrifice. But we didn't have to bring, we didn't have to bring a lamb on Sundays, or a goat, or a pigeon, depending on how wealthy we are. As Christians, as followers of Christ, the Lamb came to us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin once for all and that that demands our response. Just like Hezekiah called on the people for their response of worship, and they responded in worship, worship being a refocused life, that all of life is for Jesus, and that demanded a response. Jesus sacrificed the lamb coming to us, demanded a response from us as well. So the temple's ready, the people are ready, renewal's in motion, Hezekiah's got this thing happening, now he recognises the need for order and structure, and service and generosity to be reestablished. The first thing is they haven't been celebrating the Passover. And the Passover was something that God said, you must do this every year to remember what I did for you, to remember that I released you from slavery, that I set you free. And do you remember the story that if you didn't want your firstborn killed, you needed to sacrifice an animal, put the blood on the doorpost, and then the angel of death passed over your house. That was the Passover. And Passover was celebrated to give thanks to God, to remember and believe and and celebrate what he did. And they hadn't been doing that. So he says, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to do the Passover. So they have a Passover feast to keep the story alive. When they got together at Passover, they would say to each other and their children, remember when God rescued us out of slavery. Remember when we were slaves and we had no say over our own lives. And God rescued us from Egypt. And this had to happen, so he trained and installed some priests to, because it needed the temple needed people to serve, and he trained other people to serve, musicians and whatever it was to fill the temple with service, because the temple was now going to be a place that society's need to thrive and survive and survive was met. And the call went out for generosity, tithes and offerings, so the temple could do what God meant for it to do, and there was amazing generosity. And I remember doing that message, and I, said, and I said that I confessed that this wasn't me, but they were cheerfully giving so much. In fact, they were giving for four months straight. They kept bringing stuff for four months so that they had to build so many buildings to keep the stuff. And the priests are saying, we're full, we don't need it anymore. So the food went out to the needy, it went out to the nations, and people just kept on bringing stuff out of thankfulness and generosity. We don't have the Passover, but we celebrate Lord's Supper, so we did that. And that's how we tell each other, remember when. We were also slaves to sin. We were also captured. We might not have been in Egypt, but we were slaves. And Jesus saved us. That's our Passover. And then we were challenged to generosity. And some of you remember we had that where we wrote on a piece of paper um, so that we could give in abundance to the church and to the work of God and so that God could work through the church. So it's all going well with Hezekiah, isn't it? Everything's going well. We've got revival happening. We've got the nation back on its feet. In fact, he, he went as far as to not just Judah. He was king of Judah. But he actually made sure that renewal came to Israel as well, all of Israel. Everything's going well. Renewal is all good, right? What could possibly happen? Well, a test and a challenge comes, and, and if you were here a few weeks ago, Joel spoke on that the big bad king of Assyria, people just, kings seemingly in the Bible days just sat around saying who can we plunder next? It seems like that. I'm sure they did stuff in between like eat and sleep and that but normally they just had war cabinet and see you know how can we get the gold of the guys next door or how can we get the people. um... So the big bad king of Assyria who had conquered many many big nations, he started to threaten Judah. But God was with them, and through some cool, miraculous ways, some cool ways that God does that, where he makes them flee, where he sort of makes this big noise, Ooh, like a ghost for a kid, and they just run, you know. And some cool, different ways he rescues them from the hand of the king of Assyria. It was a huge encouragement for Judah and for Hezekiah. And Hezekiah led strongly. And we were challenged, Joel challenged us, how do we respond to challenge? How do we do that individually? How do we uh, respond to tests? Because tests and challenge are a part of renewal, aren't they? Renewal is not devoid of difficulty. We see that in Hezekiah and we see that in our own life. Just because God has us on the path of renewal doesn't mean there isn't difficulty, there isn't going to be challenges, it isn't going to be tough sometimes. And so do we turn to God? Do we trust Him to rescue us? Do we trust Him and stay on the path of renewal? Do Will renewal be derailed by the challenges or will we stay strong trusting God? And so that's where we kind of got and we're close to the end and now we get to the end of Hezekiah. We come to the final part of Hezekiah's reign and we see a new challenge to renewal. And I don't know if you've been reading ahead or if you remember the story, but there's another challenge. Renewal is God-driven but here's a lesson: when we as humans engage in renewal, even renewal can be fraught with issues. Let's have a read together, and we're going to read the first reading in Second Chronicles, and it'll be up on there. It's out of the NIV this week. Second um, Chronicles chapter 32, which is the end of our story of Hezekiah. Let's have a read of some 10 or 11 verses there. Second Chronicles 32. From verse 23, I'm going to catch it at 23 and read from there. Um, have a look on the screens if you haven't got it in front of you. So, starting in 23, many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, the king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all nations. So, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and he was at the point of death and he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made treasuries for his silver and his gold and his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grain, the new wine, the oil. He made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches." It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything that he undertook. But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God led him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. The other events of Hezekiah's reign and his acts of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, in the books Book of the kings of Judah. Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried on a hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the temple of Jerusalem honoured him when he died. And Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. So we come to the end after three short chapters of Hezekiah. But when we read the end there, we begin to see another threat to renewal, don't we? This time, the threat to renewal isn't from the outside. It's not a king of Assyria, but it's from the inside, from within. Seemingly, Hezekiah's success, his prosperity and his reputation has gone to his head a little. Pride had begun to creep in. Overconfidence had begun to creep in. And I found a quote this week. I wanted to put that up for you. from a guy called Richard Cecil. And he says this, he says, an accession of wealth is a dangerous predicament for a man. At first he's stunned if the accession be sudden and he's very humble and very grateful. Then he begins to speak a little louder. People think him more sensible and soon he thinks himself so. Maybe a little like Hezekiah, isn't it? Pride had begun to keep creeping overconfidence how does pride manifest in hezekiah's life and perhaps in our own life as we're thinking we've during this whole series we've been sort of applying it to ourselves how does pride manifest itself and i sat in the office and, and there's probably a stack of ways but we're just going to have a look at a, a couple of ways that it's in, in that we see it in hezekiah's life i think one of the first or a couple of the first things is entitlement and ungratefulness and we see that in this scripture don't we entitlement and ungratefulness and um, if we read verses 24 and 25 of, of our reading today, in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death and he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. God's doing good stuff in him. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him and therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Hezekiah's sick. In fact, he's dying. If you read the corresponding part of Kings, and we'll have a bit of a look at that later, there's a bit more detail. He's sick and he's dying. And he asks God to heal him. And he actually begs God to heal him. He actually, if you read the Kings version, he actually reminds God, remember how I've been a really good boy, how I cleansed your temple, how I did all those things just for you. Please, you can't kill me now. He doesn't say it like that, but that's kind of how it comes across. He begs God and God has always come through right and God does this miraculous thing and it's in in 2 Kings verse 20 you'll see the story Uh, God says so Isaiah comes and says to Hezekiah Isaiah the prophet comes and says to Hezekiah you're going to die and you actually you're not going to live you're pretty sick you're going to die it's all over he does this thing he turns to the wall and he prays and he does that whole thing that I just talked about God save me God save me and before Isaiah, and Isaiah's left him, before Isaiah can actually get through security of the temple and get out of the place, God says to him, go back, because I've heard Hezekiah's prayer, go back and tell him he's getting 15 more years. How would you like to be told you're getting 15 more years? I don't know if I'd like that or not, you know. Anyway, he's getting 15 more years. Hezekiah says this to Isaiah, how do I know that's true? You know? Okay, well, God's going to give you a sign. And there was a hint in our reading about a sign. And in Hez- Isaiah says to Hezekiah, what would you like God to do? He's going to move the shadow. Would you like him to move the shadow 10 steps forward or 10 steps back? I can't remember the order, but Hezekiah says, it would be pretty easy to do it back, so let him do it forward. And so God does that. That's the sign. And Hezekiah gets to live. He's given 15 more years. But here's the thing. Hezekiah, it says in our text, Hezekiah doesn't respond to God's kindness. Now we're not told what the response was, what response was missing, what he didn't do or what he should have done. Just that it really displeased God and judgment comes. A little bit more on that later. Hezekiah's pride caused him to feel entitled to the healing that he wanted, to being saved and then ungrateful when it happened. So pride caused him to be, feel entitled and ungrateful. And there's another quote I've got, and and Tim Keller, of course we've got to have a Keller quote, don't we? But anyway, there's a Tim Keller, It's a short one, where Tim Keller says, sin grows when we think we deserve something from God. Godliness grows when we remember that we're debtors to God. So these two things, being entitled and ungrateful, were things that failed to acknowledge God and that made it all about Hezekiah. Made even the healing all about him. When success and reputation and well-being become expectations and rights. And just think of the situation we're in now. We feel offended that things are going wrong in our nation or even in our... you know, Because we feel entitled. Everything's supposed to go right. I mean, we're technologically advanced as a world. Why can't we get this right? When success, reputation, and well being become expectations and rights, it can quickly turn in the minds of man to a thing that we have achieved ourselves, not something that God has done. Let me say that again. I wrote that and I. That's confusing. When success, reputation, and well being become expectations and rights, it quickly turns in the mind of man to a thing that we have achieved ourselves and not something that God has done. And here's another quote for you. Francis Chan said, It's pride, plain and simple, that keeps me from giving God all the glory and keeping some of it for myself. It's a battle we all fight in some form or another, some of us daily or even hourly. Isn't that the truth? You know, you like to think I'm not a proud person, or I'm not. but you do, you fight that all the time. You think that I got myself here. I did this, I earned that, God owes me. And we'd never say that out loud, especially not in church. That's what pride does. Pride displays me and not God to those around us. Whereas renewal is God doing a wonderful work in and around us. In fact, many wonderful works and miracles and acts of grace. But we've got to remember, we must remember that it's from God, even real, it's from God and it's for God. It's not from God for us. It's from God and for God. We don't own renewal. We don't embody it. God brings it and he gifts it to us by his grace. And so even as we've been talking about renewal for these last few weeks, we embrace it, recognizing that God gives us the opportunity for renewal time and time again as individuals and as a community. But we don't own it. It's for him. It's for his glory. When pride creeps in, it's the way the enemy robs God of the glory. The glory that's due him in the renewal happening in our lives. So that's the first thing we see. We see that um, entitlement and ungratefulness. When pride creeps in, we become entitled and we become ungrateful. What else do we see in um, Hezekiah's life and perhaps in our own life? We see self-reliance and boasting is one of the things that comes with pride. And I want to take you to Kings here. And uh, I think we've got that reading up here as well. And I want to give you a bit of a look at the version of Hezekiah and Kings. And we're going to read Kings, 2 Kings 20, if you want to find it in your own Bible, 12 to 15. And this is what happens. these, And we saw in our reading these envoys or these visitors that came from Babylon. Verse 12, 2 Kings 20, verse 12. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and he showed them all that was in his storehouse the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory and everything that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. When Then Isaiah the prophet went to the king Hezekiah and said, What did those men say and where did they come from? Well, from a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. Keep that in mind, Babylon, not a good place. The prophet asked Well, what did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Time to show off the new holiday house, the boat, the car to the mates, basically. Hezekiah is well known, maybe even a bit famous. So some pretty important people from Babylon come to see this man. Hezekiah shows them all of his stuff, all of it. It's kind of like, check this out, check my gold out, look at my troops. You know, it's so like you see that in the news when they're visiting dignitary, especially in some of these, you know, they do a march and they take the new prime minister in front of all their troops. It. Check out my palaces, have a look at this. Look at my new Ferrari. It was a wooden wheel thing that a horse pulled, but that was pre-engine days. And these people are from Babylon. Just a hint here. I'll give you a little forward statement. Babylon actually gets the stuff later. They're just looking now. They're window shopping. But tell me, let me you know, mark my words. They get it. They get the stuff. Silly man, Hezekiah. Last week was about testing. Joel spoke about testing, but in many ways, this was a test as well from God. In 2 Chronicles thirty-two verse thirty-one, we read that, didn't we? Where we got thirty-one. But when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. He kind of failed the test, didn't he? He gets cocky and he boasts, look what I have. Pride made Hezekiah show off, but he wasn't showing God off, was he? He was showing himself off, his stuff off, his status. And that's what pride does. Again, we now see not God being displayed, but Hezekiah being displayed. That can easily happen to us as well, can't it? We might see God blessing us personally or or as a community. We focus on the blessing and we talk about the blessing and we display the blessing to others way more than we talk about the blesser and display the blesser to others. It's a fine line, isn't it? because we are supposed to give thanks. We are supposed to talk about how God blesses us. But we're all supposed to give God glory. It is Him. Like Hezekiah, our focus and our attention can be quietly moved from the one who blesses to the blessing itself. happens in my life all the time. Our worth, our status, our pride as individuals and as a church can be anchored in the wrong thing. So we see that um, self-reliance and boasting. One other thing. Finish with one other thing that we see. And this is a little bit sinister, and this is a little bit where I think, Hezekiah, that was not nice. Selfishness. We see that pride makes you selfish. Back in our 2 Kings, if we read a bit further in that 2 Kings, we read from 16 to 19. we get a bit more detail, and I'll get you to notice this. From verse 16. Then then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, this is after Isaiah said, what did you show them? Did you show them everything? I showed them everything. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants... Your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away, and they'll be become eunuchs in the, which is not a really nice thing to be a eunuch, eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah says this The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, because he thought, Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Anyone notice that? Oh, well. If the Babylon's plundered Judah and everyone's taken captive in the future, well, as long as it's all good in my days. Pretty much that's what he's saying. Selfishness, isn't it? When pride makes you selfish, like, oh, that doesn't matter. I don't care what happens to the future or as long as it's going to be okay. I've got 15 more years. As long as 15 years is going to be good, it'll be fine. Babylon can have my stuff after that. At that point, we see that pride has reached lofty heights. So that Hezekiah is now totally focused on himself. Selfishness has so many manifestations in our own life and communities too. Can you imagine any in your life? Can you, I don't want you to yell it out, but can you see it in your own life, how selfishness creeps in? Can you see it in the world around us? Just again, look in these last couple of days. Anyone been to a supermarket in the last week? If that's not selfishness, if we're not seeing that lived in our society, then what is it? And we may be able to look at other people, we might be able to look at Hezekiah, but have a look at your own life, at some of the smaller ways that happens in our own life. How pride leads us to become selfish and it derails renewal. How can we move in renewal in following the King of Kings and becoming followers of Jesus Christ when we're now focusing on ourselves? How can we do that as individuals? How can we do that as a community? How could Hezekiah, well he's about to finish his life, but he's got 15 years to still give God glory. But he's now totally focused on himself. The common denominator is the start of that word, isn't it? Self, between Hezekiah and sometimes us. Whether that's in the way that you respond to sin, whether that's in the way that you worship whether that's in the way that you respond to generosity, you look after yourself before you look after the kingdom, or to service, what matters to me, or to your likes, or to your preferences, or to your habits. When when me matters more or drives the results, it's selfishness. It's no longer about God. And so we get to the end of the story, and here's the irony, isn't it? We see that pride, this little... Right at the end, he did so well. Right, Pride, this little thing has brought Hezekiah almost right back to where renewal was first needed. There are now idols in the temple, in him. Isn't that interesting? That pride has brought him almost right back to where he started, where the temple was full of idols. Him, his temple. And that's what can happen to us as well. The irony is that renewal was and is the place where our focus was taken captive and put on Christ. That's what renewal's about. Where we were focusing on everything else and we were moving in sin, like the, the, the nation of Judah was, and we were. And renewal was the place where our focus was grabbed, taken captive, and focused on Christ, and and set ourselves on on worshiping Him, and and that process of sanctification resulting in a right response to sin, that we respond to sin by confessing sin and, and making sacrifice like the people of Judah did, to recognise the greatness of God and his gift, to refocus worship, refocus the way that we live our lives and our dedication on God and not on ourselves, to, to be abundant in service and generosity. All those things that we've learned over the last five or six weeks. And yet renewal is also a place where constant surrender Constant openness to the Holy Spirit is critical. That we become alert, and that alertness is that great weapon we have to protect renewal. That we're alert to when these things are creeping in. See, the enemy is threatened by renewal. When you, as an individual, when you, as a human being, when we, as a church community or any church community, embarks on renewal or recognizes renewal, that's when the enemy is threatened. He doesn't mind if we gather together and sing. He doesn't mind if we say that there is a God. He knows there's a God. He's met him. He does mind if we begin to worship God, if we begin to move in renewal and set our lives as a focus on God. Now we're a threat to the enemy. And he will do his utmost to undo the work of renewal in us, in our communities. And you see it in Hezekiah's life so clearly. Pride is a creeping weapon that he uses. It's sneaky. You don't often feel or see it straight away. And we would do well to be aware of how subtle it can be in our lives as well. You see, renewal is an ongoing process. Uh, We said that in a few of our messages. It's not something that we just do once and, and we're just doing for 2020 or the first half of 2020 or just for this series. Renewal is this thing that God calls us to Ongoing, and, and perhaps we could, you could almost look at it like sanctification. But sanctification is this ongoing process in our lives until we meet Jesus. Renewal is this thing that we're continually called to. We're always growing in it as individuals and as a community. It's a process supported by the community. By the way, we choose to grow together, and we, we choose to allow each other to be part of our lives and, and to teach us and to draw us and to, to encourage us in renewal. And we use things like accountability groups, life groups, coming to church, praying together, phoning each other, having meals together. They're all places where we can encourage that renewal if we have good relationship with each other. So this series might be over with this sermon, but renewal is ongoing. We still go back to those stages, what are the idols? What are the sin that we need to deal with? What are the practices and our responses that we need to continue to grow in? We need to go back over those things again and again because renewal is this constant cyclical thing that we keep doing, that God keeps calling us into. We hope that shining a spotlight on this for these last few weeks helps us to embrace it, will help us to embrace it that will help you and me and, and us as a church to reach for renewal as a community of believers. Not so that we can be great followers or a great church. We already are a great church. But so that our lives or our community, that our programs, that they all point the world to our Saviour Jesus Christ and they glorify Him. The gift of renewal is in our hands. How will we carry it? How will you carry it? I just want you to think for a moment. I'm just going to give us a, a, little mo- a couple of minutes of silence and then I'm going to pray. But I want you just to, if you were here for most of the sermons or remember one or two, I want you just to ponder some of the, the points that we asked for your response. Idols. Where do you need to be cleansed from idols? Things that are capturing you or pulling you away from God. Sin. And a response to sin. Where are you ready to allow the lamb to be the sacrifice for your sins and that you'll respond to him in worship and turn your life around and say, I will follow you. Maybe your response in service. Lord, how can I, now that the temple's cleansed, now that I'm on the track to renewal, how can I serve you better? How can I live a life of generosity? Are there tests in my life? Are there things where I need to stand firm? Or I need to hear you. And stand firm to see the salvation of the Lord. And is there pride in my life? Am I trying to do it myself? Am I pretty proud of what I've kind of gathered in this life? It might be status or things. Am I pretty comfortable with the way I've done? And and pretty, gee, I've done all right. Is there pride that's creeping in? And is there selfishness? Just as long as it's all right with me, then I'm okay. I just want you to take a few moments, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you if you need that and then confess that before God. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that and then I'm going to pray to close. God, we we just want to be thankful. We want to thank you for renewal. We want to thank you, Lord, that each time we dig ourselves into big holes, Lord you are there to lift us up to show us how to to hoist ourselves back out of there how you lift us out of there how you help us to right ourselves and to begin to and to set us back on the path of renewal to becoming like you to bring in glory to you Lord thank you that even though in the midst of renewal just like Hezekiah we can be tested we can we can fall Lord you pick us up and renewal doesn't stop. That We, we, we cleanse again. We, we confess again. Lord, we step up to the plate again. And Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you came as a lamb and you gave yourself and you said this is once for all. This is so that you can get up and dust yourself off. This is so that you can get up and step back on the path of renewal. This is so that you can become great followers. And this is all for the glory of God. And Lord, we thank you for reminding us. We thank you for the words you've given us these last few weeks. Thank you for planting those few chapters in the Old Testament of a person that you worked through his his life and that that has has echoed right up to our time, that we've been able to learn and see you, your hand, and how wonderful you are through that story. Lord, for inspiring us, and I pray that you would continue to do that. Lord, I pray for us as a community as we embark on renewal and as how that brings changes and makes us look different sometimes but lord as we become increasingly as we follow you and as we bring and and cause others to follow you and we do that more and more we pray lord that your kingdom would come where we are and where we go and we pray these things in your name amen